0: Thank you so much. We've had a wonderful few days, greater than a week, here in Nassau with all of you. And uh, yes, the weather is beautiful, and yes, the beaches are gorgeous, but seriously, the best highlight of our time is Calvary Bible Church family. You're so loving and warm and welcoming, and uh, we've grown to love you very much already. Beth is very sorry that her back is not allowing her to be in the worship service today, We saw the doctor earlier in the week, and uh, he thinks she has a herniated disc, and so she's been on some um, pain medicine and and anti-inflammatory medicine, and she's still feeling very tough. She can stand for about 15 minutes, and then she has to lie down to get some relief from the pain. So as uh, Brother Paul asked, I would ask you to pray for our journey back Uh, Maybe the stewardess will let me stand the whole flight and she can sleep across the two chairs. I don't know if that works or not. But again, thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for your love. And thank you for uh, serving the Lord, loving and serving the Lord in a very um, opportune place. I think the Bahamas are opportune for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that you stand for that gospel, believe that gospel, and want to tell others of that wonderful gospel and Savior. Like last week, I invite you to kneel with me as we pray, if you are able, right where you are. Calvary's Lamb, you made time and yet you stepped into time. Your relationship with us was snubbed by our sin. Yet you died and rose again to restore your relationship with us. And that is huge love. Lord, you don't need us, yet you want us. You want us to know and love you. You desire relationship with us more than religion out of us. Encourage us now to enter more deeply into our relationship with you. This will be for our good, and this will be for your glory, and this will look like more love to you, Savior. We pray this in your name together, and God's family said, amen. Amen. Well, I've shared some mediocre jokes with you, and we'll try for another one. Let me lead into this story that we're all different, you know, and um, one of the ways that our differences are formulated is that how we grew up, where we grew up, etc. and uh, apparently there was this little small engine aircraft that went down on one of the family islands, and there were eight survivors. Two were American, two were Canadian, two were Bahamian, and two were Englishmen. After some days, this crew of eight realized they weren't going to be rescued anytime soon. So the, they decided to get together by nationality and start some businesses on this, friend, this outer island. The two Americans got together and they began an internet business. The Canadians got together and they started a hotel business. The Bahamians got together and began a delicious seafood restaurant business. Well, things were going very well and... They were all about their business, and then they happened to notice that the two Brits were just wandering around doing nothing. So the Bahamians said, hey, you know, we've all got businesses going. Why don't you two Brits get together and start a business? We've not been properly introduced. (laughs) Yes, people are different based on their nationality. But the very first way that God made us different was by language please turn in your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Of course, as you turn to Genesis 11, you will see this is the Tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar. And at verse 1 of Genesis 11, we read this. Now, the whole earth used to use the same language and the same words. And it came about that as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I want you to notice with me that this was a self-glorifying construction project. They wanted to build a tower to put themselves forward. They built a tower to try to get to heaven in their own efforts and in their own smarts. Look at quickly at verse 3. It says, Come let us. Build bricks. Verse 4, come let us build for ourselves. Verse 4, a tower whose top will reach into heaven. By the way, that's a good definition of religion. Religion is human attempts to reach up to heaven. Verse 4, and let us make for ourselves a name. The Tower of Babel was a bottom up deal. Man was trying to make a name for himself while grasping for God. Now, let's go on to verses 5 to 9. We'll see that the Lord was not at all impressed with the tower or the tower builders. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. No, the Lord was not impressed with the Tower of Babel. In fact, the Lord judged the tower builders, and he judged them for their rebellious pride. He judged them for their rebellious pride. He judged them by totally confusing their language. He judged them by creating many languages which were not understood by each other. It was so profound that on the tower construction site after the Lord judged them, no one could even say, pass me a hammer, and be understood. The Lord was not pleased with the tower builder's attempt to steal God's glory, and he was not pleased that they were working bottom up. God does not approve bottom-up. God is top-down. God moving to us, not us moving to God in religious self-efforts. Religion is mankind's idea of how to get right with God by effort, reaching up to heaven. This does not impress the Lord. Because this represents a rebellious pride, and this will receive judgment from God. Religion is something God judges. Now, you want to name some religions? Whatever religion you might name this morning, it is bottom up. You can count on it. Whatever religion you name is bottom up. Whatever religion you care to name is religious self-effort. Buddhism, merit, karma, Reincarnation. Islam. Sharia law. Jihad. Science. Yes, science is a religion. Supreme Court of the United States of America deemed uh, secular humanism to be a religion. Science is something that we worship in America as an idol, as a religion. Science says find better and better ways to explain evolution. Zoroastrianism is seeing God in everything. The Zoroastrian sees God in this music stand. It's religion. It's an effort to reach up to God with good deeds. Animism is a religion where it respects plants and animals because it believes that plants and animals have an inanimate spirit to each of them. Religion. Animism believes in a circle of life and worships the circle of life rather than the creator of the circle of life. You name any religion, and it will be a bottom-up attempt to get to God, and God will judge it, because God is all about top-down. Baha'i, the religion of Baha'i, spiritual oneness expressed through humanitarian acts, Rastafarianism, marijuana, Ethiopia, efforts to reach up to God, secular humanism, says, grow in your, to your greatest potential and be your own final authority. See, what's right for you may not necessarily be right for them. These are all religions and these are all bottom-up and God disapproves of bottom-up things and God will judge all bottom-up things. Why? Because our loving God is not into rituals. He's into relationship with people. Because our gracious creator desires us us. He wants us. He doesn't want our efforts. If your Redeemer has a wallet and you're saved, he's got your picture in his wallet. Not for what you can do for him but because you're his. And he values a forever relationship with you because you're born again. Our God disapproves of bottom-up religion because He wants relationship with us, not rituals, because he's a gracious creator who desires us, his creation, and not our efforts at self-reform. He is not a bottom-up religion because our humble savior came from the top to come to us down to die for our sins. By the way, the cross deals with both problems we have. The cross is where Jesus died for us in our place, but the cross is also the place where we died with Jesus. The cross solves our sin problem, justification, and the cross solves our sanctification problem, our being made to be more like Christ. The work of the cross is finished as we celebrated at communion. The work of dying to self, being sanctified because of the cross, is ongoing. But make no mistake about it, our God is top-down. He comes to us. He's not impressed when we try to come to him without his son. Most earnest religious efforts are not enough. It's that simple. And really what we're going to see in these minutes together, it's not at all a human tower. Instead, it's a divine cross. It's not a human tower. It's a divine cross. And our sin debt to holy God was infinite so that it takes Christ's blood which is of infinite value to avoid the judgment with which our sins all deserve. You know 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, the Father, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so what we're seeing in these Observations is that the God of the Bible, the only true and living God, is all about top down. And top down has another word it's grace. The God of the Bible is about top down, He's all about grace. He comes to us when we can't come to Him, He comes to us when we're not inclined to come to Him. What a Lord! We see this pattern in both the Old and the New Testaments very quickly. The Creator came to Adam and Eve after they'd sinned. The Lawgiver came to Mount Sinai and gave Ten Commandments. The God of Glory came to visit the camp of Israel in the tabernacle. The Lord of History came to Israel multiple times in her prophets that he sent to her. The Savior for sinners came the first Christmas in a manger. The Victor over sin and death came to us, allowing himself to be nailed to a cross. You do know he was not a victim. On the cross, He was a volunteer. Because God comes to us. The resurrected Messiah came to us after rising from the dead. The King of kings and Lord of lords will come to us to set up his kingdom. Oh yes, the true God of the Bible is all about top down. He's all about coming to us. He knows that we cannot come to him. We can't. Because all our efforts to come to him are flawed and inconsistent and spotty. And all of our efforts to come to him without his son are totally unsatisfying to us. They leave us totally unsure we are getting to heaven. They boil down to only hope so peace. I have lots of Roman Catholic friends. We disagree in our theology, but I respect them and they respect me. And do you know when I share Christ with a Roman Catholic who's not trusting Christ but the church, when I say, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? Do you know what they always say? I hope so. They don't know so because they only can hope so. They only can hope so. By the way, the Roman Catholic Church rises or falls with purgatory. Because purgatory gives all of the church's followers who only have a hope-so salvation, a chance for a second salvation. Wouldn't it be discouraging if you were in a religion that you only can hope to get yourself up to God by religious duty and then you die and you only are hoping to go to heaven? So they had to invent purgatory to give them a second chance or the whole church would never have gone on. There would have been frustrated church members. So for sure, all bottom-up religion winds up being just like the Tower of Babel's builders judged. And all bottom-up religion ends in producing pride, not faith. I mean, if you could get to heaven by being a member of Calvary Bible Church, giving your tithe and offering and serving in a few ministries, and I get to heaven based purely on the grace of God and what he's given me in Christ, no merit on my part, we meet in heaven I say, how'd you get here? Well, I in perfect attendance at Calvary Bible Church, Nassau. How'd you get here? I fell on the mercies and grace of God as a wicked sinner. If you could get to heaven by your efforts of bottom-up efforts in church, would you not be tempted to boast over me, a simple beggar who found the bread of life and trusted him to be Savior? God says, as you know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that, Nobody can boast. Nobody's going to boast in heaven. Heaven's a gated community. The only people get into heaven are ones that trust Jesus Christ alone to be Savior, and then God opens the gate. Jesus said, I'm the gate, right? I am the door. Heaven's a gated community. Salvation is always about God's grace. It's always about God coming from heaven to us, top down, The way that we are to demonstrate our faith in God so that his grace could be activated in our lives to save us has varied through the Bible. They're called dispensations or household arrangements. Salvation is always by God's grace through faith in God, but the object upon which we are to rest our faith varies with the unfolding of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We call these dispensations or household arrangements. And so how was it that uh, Noah was to demonstrate his faith in God to have God's grace save him, build an ark? that would never seen a rainstorm. What's an ark? A boat. What's a boat? You put it in the water. What's water? He was to demonstrate his faith in God by obediently building an ark. Abraham, he had to be willing to sacrifice his son of promise. The nation of Israel, they were told to try to keep the law and observe the necessary sacrifices when they didn't make the law. The church, this age in which we live, the household arrangement that we live in now since Pentecost until the rapture of the church, we are to demonstrate our faith in God by looking to the cross and the finished work of Jesus as we did at communion, to trust him alone to be our Savior. Different household arrangements, the same grace salvation received through faith, but how we demonstrate our faith is prescribed from the top down, not from the bottom up. So this morning, I just wonder, are you trusting Christ alone for salvation? I didn't ask you if you're a member of Calvary Bible Church. I asked you, are you trusting Christ and only Christ to make you right with God? Or are you, in your mind, trying to work your way up a tower of Babel in your religious self-efforts that's unsatisfying and it's incorrect? Receive with the hand and heart of faith the finished work of Jesus to be your only remedy for sin. Be saved today. I'm told that it is rather common to Bahamian culture to go to church. Maybe that almost everyone attends church. Could this mean that your countrymen have this bottom-up viewpoint that if they do for God, if they... uh, conform to certain expectations of religion that they'll be made okay with God. I don't know. I haven't been here long enough to figure that out. But I'll tell you one thing. Entering this church building no more makes you a Christian than going into a garage makes you a car. So why might a person be here today? Well, I think at least a couple options. One would be that you're here to be religious in order to reach to God to try to earn salvation. Or, in contrast, you could be here this morning because you've already been made right by God from the top down in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you're here just to say thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you that I'm off the treadmill of religion. Thank you that I'm free and blessed. Big difference. It's the difference between striving with bottom-up religion, which God will judge, and the difference between recognizing top-down grace, which brings true and eternal salvation in Christ. So which would it be for you? To me, it's a no-brainer what to pick. If you haven't picked Christ, ditch religion for Christ today. Now, I want to take you, in closing, to um, one of Jesus' most well-loved stories Jesus was a storyteller. And he told a story to make a real set of points here. It's the story of the prodigal son. But I like to call it the story of the older brother. Maybe you'll see why. Luke 15, starting at verse 11. Uh, Luke 15, please, starting at verse 11. I'll read through verse 32. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to uh, be impoverished. And he went out, and attached himself or hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick. Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came, he approached the house and he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a kid that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost, and has been found." This is a beautiful story of top-down, forgiving grace, and it's also a beautiful story of top-down, forgiving grace being contrasted with bottom-up, rule-keeping duty. This is a story of a dad who was quick to forgive and a son-brother who was unwilling to forgive. This is a story of a God contrasted with the story of a human who kept score. This is a story of calm and generous love and the story of angry and stingy rigidity. Will you notice a few things about the Father? Of course, the Father in the parable is a picture of God the Father. Will you notice about the Father? And it's all top-down. It's all grace and none of it is religion. Will you notice about the Father in the story? He was gracious to go against the cultural norm by giving one of his sons, the younger son, his inheritance before the time. Didn't have to do that. He was gracious. I see that in verse 12. Will you notice more? The father in this story had demonstrated his kindness to his son. That's in verse 17. Will you notice the father had raised his sons with a consistent willingness to graciously forgive? We see that in verses 18, 19, and the first part of verse 20. Will you notice from the father in the parable, he was regularly watching the horizon? How did he see him far away off on the horizon? Because he sat on his front porch and stared at the horizon a lot, looking for his son, wanting a restored relationship with his son. Why did he run? Because of great love. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, it was totally undignified for a father to ever run for anything. They never ran. They saw it as being below them to run. Now this father sees his son, Watching for the horizon, sees his son, and then runs to his son. That's the kind of God we have in Scripture. That's the kind of Savior we have in the church. He runs to us when we're messed up because he wants a relationship with us. Will you notice in this father of the story that he forgave his boy without any hesitation? He wanted the relationship so much with his son in verses 21 through 24 that he forgave him like that. And last, you notice about the dad, he saw a restored, once broken relationship as being extravagant joy. I don't know how many beef cows he had. I don't know how many of them were fat enough to enjoy to eat. But he said, get the fattest one, slaughter it, and we're going to have a barbecue. Because this son of mine that was once dead has come back to life. Yeah, while he was was in the far off country in sin, spiritually dead, he's come back in repentance. I welcome him. I love him. I celebrate his repentance. I want my relationship restored with him. That's our Savior. And so brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you who are blood-bought children of God's, you who are the company of the forgiven. You who are part of God's forever family. You who are Calvary Bible Church, NASA. Know that this is top-down grace and love. That this is top-down cure and remedy for bottom-up religion. This is redemption. This is Christ. This is the cross. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith and that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Top down is the gift of God, not of works, not bottom up, not of works, so that nobody can boast. This is beautiful. This is very beautiful. But in this story of Jesus, there's something very ugly. The ugliness is the bottom up, self righteous effort of the older brother on the farm. It's the ugliness that I'm commonly in this sermon calling religion. It's the ugliness of prideful scorekeeping, the ugliness of unforgiveness, the ugliness of comparison and self justification. It's not good if I see myself in the older brother. And it is not good for you to see yourselves in the older brother. What was he like? Verses 25 to 28, he was quick to become angry. He isolated himself, verse 28b. He was good at keeping score, he says, for so many years. Probably knew how many, kept score. Verse 29a, he viewed his work for his father as serving. Literally in the Greek here, it's slaving. I've been slaving for you all these years. There are some Christians who think they're slaving for Jesus. They're kind of irritated about it. See him as a hard taskmaster. This older brother over exaggerated his obedience. You got to know that when he says, I never neglected a command. Oh, really? You never neglected one thing your father told you to do? Pinocchio, your nose is growing. But self righteous, bottom up, even born again Christians exaggerate their obedience. He compared himself to his kid brother. He compared himself to what his dad did for his kid brother, and he says to his dad with disrespect and ingratitude, you've never given me. You have never given me. And now, (laughs) this son of yours, he was so angry, he couldn't even call his kid brother his brother. Notice that? This son of yours. This older brother was so disgusted that he couldn't even call his brother his brother. He says, this son of yours, 30, part A. And so I hope you're seeing that religion, whatever label you put on it, is ugly. And religion, whatever label you put on it, is totally inferior to grace. Because religion is bottom-up effort that God will judge, and grace is top-down gifting that God bestows. Now, bottom-up seems right to us, but it's damnable. The people who go to hell are the people who want to go bottom-up without Christ. That's who goes to hell. It's damnable. God judged and scattered bottom-up thinking on the plain of Shinar, at the Tower of Babel, and God still judges and damns religion without his son. Efforts to be right without Jesus are damnable be a lot of older brother types in hell. But you know what? There are a lot of older brother types in any church. Slaving for God. Irritated when a brother or sister in Christ on the other side of the sanctuary seems to have more blessings than I have working at ministries in a local church, not in the power of the Holy Spirit or for the glory of God, but just because I'm going to do my duty. Maybe God will love me more if I do my duty. I might be miserable doing my duty, but I'm just going to do my duty. Please remember that the true God of the Bible always moves first to us. We never move first to him, ever. Will you remember that the God of the Bible moves first to us in grace because he loves us? When we're dirty, stinky, messy sinners, he loved us first. He came to us in his Son. He made forgiveness possible. He adopts us into his forever family. And he wants us to serve him not out of duty, but out of love. To serve him not out of compulsion, but out of volunteerism. I have a a lovely song. I'll just confess to you right now. I've heard it dozens of times. And I'll tell you what, every time I hear it, I cry. Because of the words and the truth that links to this story of the older brother and the runaway son. Let's listen to it and watch it, and then we'll have a few more things.
1: I feel the presence of the Lord moving still. There's a song that we sang
2: many years ago. I don't even know. Where
1: did you find this song?
2: Well, uh, this song actually was recorded many years ago by a young man named Benny Hester. And I uh, begged these guys to do this song for two or three albums. And like knuckleheads, they wouldn't listen to me. Uh, But... This song has a tremendous, powerful message. And I've known people that that thought somehow they had walked beyond God's grace. It's a wonderful thing to know that He reaches us no matter where we go and His love reaches for us. His hand is extended. And I want you to listen to the words of this song tonight if you maybe walked into this building and feel a long ways from your heavenly Father. Almighty God, the great I am. Immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord. Victorious warrior, commanding King of kings mighty conqueror and the only time the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me he took me in his arms held my head to his chest said my son's come home again lifted my face Wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice. He said, Son, do you know I still love you? He called me by surprise when God ran. The day I left home. And I wondered then If things could ever be the same Then one night and one night I remembered his love for me And so down the dusty road Ahead I could see It was the only time It was the only time And He brought me to my knees. When God ran, I saw Him run to me. I was so ashamed, all alone, and so far.
1: I want you to reach over right now to the person who's next to you, and I want you to take them by the hand if you could do that. Because the three of us are pastors and ministers, and we recognize when the Holy Spirit is moving in an audience. And in an audience of this size, we know that there are people here that that song was just for you. And I don't know if you even know the person whose hand you're holding right now but I want you to pray for them like it was your own kin I want you to pray for them like it's your prayer that's the only prayer that's going to help them to reach up and touch the hymn of a merciful Savior would you pray for the person whose hand you're holding and those of you watching on this DVD you may be in a lonely bedroom somewhere, hotel room You may be on a plane watching this on your DVD player. The Spirit of the Lord is coming to you right now. It is not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance, to be joined together. In the name of Jesus.